0: Welcome, superhero. Your heart is in the right place. I am Bridget Fonger. I wrote a book called Superhero of Love, Heal Your Broken Heart, and then go save the world. In this second season of the Superhero of Love podcast, I'm gathering tips from thought leaders about how we can unpandemicize our hearts, heal the effects of the pandemic on our hearts, and love and be loved more than ever before. So, let's get this heart party started. Welcome. Okay, everybody. We are here with Sherry Cole, who I had the great pleasure of meeting a few weeks ago, and I got her book, and that very night, and it was a super, super, super long day, and I was super, super, super exhausted. That night, I read, like, the first 40 pages. Like, I had to read it, and then the next day, I finished the book because it's so good. The book is Rooted to Rise, um, Sherry has, okay. So Sherry, I need to, I'm going to, uh, uh, full disclosure here. I, I, I don't know a lot about basketball and I just want to say thank you for writing Rooted to Rise. So Sherry's a very famous college, women's college basketball coach. And, um, she listen to this. She, let me stop and interrupt myself and just say what I wanted to thank you for was writing this book so that people who didn't really know basketball could still understand and be completely inspired and want to now play basketball. <laughs> <was> so sweet. <laughs> so she was a the head coach of at University of Oklahoma women's basketball team for over twenty five years or twenty five years exactly. Twenty five years exactly. She led their program to. Three Final Fours, won six Big 12 regular season championships, and four Big 12 tournament championships, had 19 straight NCAA tournament appearances, and made nine Sweet 16 appearances. She's in the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame Class of 2016. Welcome, Sherry.
1: Thank you so much, Bridget. Thank you for having me.
0: Oh, my God. I'm so inspired by you and your book. I'm going to read this line that comes very early in your book. And I was trying to flip through the book and see exactly where it was, but I was so inspired by it that I typed it up. Right. And I don't actually know what page it's on, but it's early in the book and it really uh, sets the tone of the book. You, you have such a great way of writing. Uh, I felt like I was sitting around talking to you and hearing your stories, but then you, you also like weave in this poetry. You're so, Anyway, it's very, it's not only entertaining, but it's also moving to read the book. She wrote, uh, Sherry wrote, we are grounded by others. We are fueled by others. We are elbow locked with others as we reach and swell and grow. This is a book about that. The impact of the tangly life anchoring connections that sustain us. So, that is so beautiful. Like we could, I should have paused for a moment of silence. <laughs> it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. And one of the things in this new, this is my second season of this podcast. And I started the podcast before my book actually came out. Uh, I think I started in 2018 and I did over a hundred episodes and then I stopped it toward the beginning of, of COVID. And I thought I was just gonna stop it for a few months cause I just needed to recharge and reinvigorate and figure out where to go. And I ended up uh, pausing it for a year and a half. Um, uh, my point with this is that the pandemic affected me, right? So it had an impact on who I wanted to be in the world. It made me turn inwards. So for these last couple of years I've been mostly turning inward. And then, um, uh, but what I'm looking at right now, what I'm inspired by, and what this season is partially, of this podcast is partially focusing on, is how we can take care of our hearts, given all that did occur during the pandemic. And this, these sentences that I just read about the connections, and this book rooted to rise um is so inspiring in this specific time i think because you are focusing on those roots and i'm going to let you because you have a poetry about you when you speak about those roots of which you speak um tell them why it's called rooted to rise and what you're what you're talking about here with this these life anchoring connections
1: okay well i'll try to do this as concisely as possible um I was a basketball coach forever. Uh, I was the quintessential college student that went onto campus and said, I want to be a teacher and a coach. And four years later, I got a degree that said I could do that. So I went to the high school level and I was a teacher and a coach, taught high school English, was a high school girls basketball coach. Didn't want to be a nomad, never wanted to move around the country as most collegiate coaches do. So high school was my thing. Had a husband and a little boy. And um, when I was pregnant with my daughter, I was coaching at Norman high school and then the university of Oklahoma job opened up and, Some people from town came in and said, you should go get this job. And I said, are you drunk? I'm a high school coach. I can't can't do that. And have you noticed I'm nine months pregnant here? And um, long story short, got the job, moved uh, across town, literally uh, two miles as the crow flies, as they would say, and moved into this big corner office and and took over this uh, mammoth job of rebuilding the University of Oklahoma Women's Basketball Program. And I loved coaching from, since I was in the fourth grade, basketball was a huge part of my life, Uh, high school, All-State, or played college ball, all that business. And so I felt like I had died and gone to heaven, right? I had this dream job and I did. It was, I'm born and raised in Oklahoma. I'm the head coach at OU, you know, my family stood at attention when the fight song played the whole nine yards. And um, yet I always knew there was this, I want, there was other things that I wanted to do. I knew I wouldn't be a lifer. I knew I would not be on the sideline when I was 65 years old, coaching basketball. There were other things I wanted to do. And like you, Bridge, when COVID came around, I was walking down the hallway of my house one day and the light came through the east side, the west side of my house. And I thought, this room is beautiful. I love my home. And I took about three more steps and I thought, why have I never noticed this before? I've lived here for 30 years. Why have I never noticed this before? And it hit me that, I just wasn't ever at home at nine thirty in the morning. Mm-hmm. And there was a whole, it was like the curtain pulled back on the big wide world all of a sudden. And I took a deep breath and thought, this is it. This is the last year I'm going to do this because there's some other things I want to do. So I began to chase that passion in my pocket, which is writing. That's always been the, my happy place, the place where I could go and do it for three hours and not feel like I had been doing anything at all. It would just juice, you know, Wow. I used to tell my players that that's how you know when you're when you really have found your passion, because you can it, it gives you more energy than it takes away. And um, so I dove in and I had this. I didn't really have an idea of this is the kind of book I want to write. But I had a laundry basket. I call it a Moses basket, a woven basket full of pieces of paper where I had written things through the years might be a paragraph about a player might be a sentence about a season, might be a whole little piece that I never really did anything with. I just had just stacks and stacks of of paper. And I began to go through them. And I had about, I don't know, seven, eight complete stories that needed to be reworked and polished and retooled. I did all that. And then it led to another thought and another thought. And I would read another scrap of paper and begin to write. And that whole season that I was coaching uh, the COVID world was made it different. You know, we couldn't go recruit like we usually do. Uh, We couldn't be at the office all day long. You could go in and coach from a balcony and it was just really, you know, how it was. The world was strange. And so I would just spend my alone time writing. And then as soon as I retired from coaching, which I'm not a fan of that word, I, I um, evolved as Serena says, right? There you go. Yeah. And I just decided to kind of keep this train of thought going. And what came out was a bunch of stories of gratitude to tell you the truth, just appreciation for people who had made me who I am. And some of them are are family members. Some of them are teachers. Some of them are my kids teachers. Some of them are people I don't know real well, but were mentors and significant uh, Im- influences on my life. And um, I had this thing and I, I called a literary agent and said, I have this thing. I don't know if it's a thing or not, but it's, I don't know, would you tell me if it's a thing? <laughs> and she <laughs> called back and said, it's definitely a thing. <laughs> and so we began the process of trying to put it together. And real quickly, the story um, for the title, which is the really the metaphor around which is all woven came at the back end. So I didn't set out to write this story about all these connections. These were stories in my heart and in my head. And when I put them down and tried to figure out what the common thread was. What is the commonality that's binding all of this together? It was this idea that we are all connected and we we are dented in, if you will, um, sometimes positively, sometimes negatively, but we are impacted by the people who we cross paths with. And so as we were going through the title workshop for my book, um, the, the master who was uh, asking me the questions of, you know, what is this book really about? What do you really want to call it? Um I said, well, it's like the redwood trees. And I told my team about the redwood trees all the time. And she's like, no, tell me about the redwood trees. And so I began to tell her and she said, oh, your title's in there. Uh, sleep yeah. on it. You'll find it. And the next morning I woke up and uh, oh. wove, the, organized the stories around the metaphor of the redwood tree and wove it all together. And it just felt right.
0: I just got chills and it's rooted to rise. And she talks of, and you talk uh, very specifically. I don't think if I knew this before, I've forgotten it, that their, their roots, that they're so mighty and strong and so very tall and their root system is actually not that shallow, but they're all reaching out to each other, creating more strength in connecting. Yeah. Right.
1: You would think because of their grandeur and because of how long they stand, some as long as 2000 years. That their roots would wrap around the very core of the earth, but they don't. They grow six to twelve feet below water, or below ground, and and they hold each other up. And so uh, it's that entanglement that mm-hmm. allows them to not just survive, but to thrive and and to be so emblematic of not only that part of the country, but our entire country.
0: There's so many stories in your book. About- um, that made me, um, you know, bite my nails, you know, scare, you know, like, oh my God, are they going to win? Is it going to be okay? Is her, is that injury going to stop her from ever playing again? Oh my God. I'm so scared. Um, so and one of the, one of the ones that I was on the edge of my seat for was your very first important recruit. Can you tell that story about, you know, watching the video 40 times and yeah. that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Of course, I went from being a high school coach to a college coach, which was like, you know, who does this? There's all this, you know, uh, everybody waiting to see what kind of flop this would be because nobody makes that jump. And I inherited a team that was really not very good at all. And I got hired late in the spring, which signing period is in the fall. So most of the quote unquote good players are gone. And so I just enlisted the network of people that I had to help me find anybody who's still available who could come help us. And through a friend of a friend, my college coach's friend of a friend. I found this gal in Lubbock, Texas, or outside of Lubbock, Texas, in the little town of Slayton that had, her dream was to play for Marsha Sharp and the Lady Raiders at Texas Tech, who had, of course, won a national championship and had the storied program. And when spring came around for late signing, Tech didn't have enough spots for her, so she was left. Her name was Felicia Whaley, and um, I called her, and she said, yes, she would like to come visit. And so she and her mom came and visited, and they were fantastic Uh, We loved them. They were precious human beings. And we talked about our goals and our dreams, mine and hers and how they could uh, interact with one another. And it was just she was fabulous, but I'd never seen her play. And so I'm like, I can't I'm sorry, I can't offer you a scholarship yet. I've I've never seen you play. And we've we've called your coach and she's sending film. And this was in the days before, you you know, now you could just get online and find film. But you had to like the VHS had to come through the mail. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it did the box nice. and then you had to plug it into the machine and so i'm recruiting this girl who's a 5'10 center meaning she plays post and most of the centers in our league were 6'4 6'5 my i'd had two kids on my high school team who were 6'2 and so i'm recruiting this 5'10 5'11 center who's played on a really good team and she was um a, a really good player and a, a most valuable player at the state tournament but but I didn't know anything about her beyond that and so I told her I can't I can't sign you yet I have to see and she and her mom were fantastic about it they understood so I got the film from her high school coach I plugged it in I watched it and I thought hmm she's good then I took it to my husband I said what do you think and he said hmm she's good she made layups and free throws and did nothing else and she's 5'10 and I'm like oh gosh I get my first signing at the division one level cannot be a 5'10 center like I'm gonna get laughed out of town. I had everybody watch it. I mean, people from my church, my neighbor, anybody. And everybody came up with the same thing. They were like, I don't know, you know, she's good, but you know, she's 5'10. And so the deadline was looming. I had to make a decision because signing day was coming. And so one day I just made the decision internally that I'm going to sign this kid because I love her eyes. There was something about her eyes that just said, I will run through a wall for you. They were sincere, they were honest. Um, there's a genuineness about her. And so I called her and offered her a scholarship and she accepted on the spot and she cried and I cried, and her mom cried, and we had this wonderful moment, and um still had no real idea, you know, what kind of player she would be. But I felt, you know, at at the least, she would be a really good practice player and you know, really make us better. And She comes to Oklahoma and I wish I was, I I wish I had been smart enough to know what she would become because I was not. She came in and she was amazing. She started every game of her entire career. Uh, By the time she was a sophomore, I built my entire offense around her. Uh, Her junior and senior seasons, when she got tired, I called a timeout. Otherwise, there were no strategic timeouts. I'm like, oh, Felicia's tired. Timeout, let her rest. I didn't take her out of the game. She was amazing. She scored 40 on a number of occasions, major college, Division one basketball, highest stage ever. And she became an honorable mention All-American as well as Big Big 12 Player of the Year. And on the night that she graduated, um, or not, not graduated, but the night she played her last game on the home floor at Norman, Oklahoma, it was senior night. And she was the only senior on our team. I always found that to be quite fitting because I'm not sure anybody else could have held up in... The light that she garnered, just the presence that she had, and um, we had these T-shirts made. I still have one in my closet that has her picture on the front and a list of her accomplishments on the back. And uh, it said we play for P Dub, and uh, that's what we did. Our, her nickname was P Dub. That's what we always called her. Kind of like Elvis and Oprah, you know? She, <laughs> she was just. Yeah. And she was really the foundation of one whose shoulders we built our program. And, the, the-
0: and you did it with a leap of faith. That is, I mean, oh, I get yeah. chills. I had chills the entire time you were telling that story. And I've already read it like twice because I loved it so much. Mm-hmm. It, it just t- says a lot about who you are, you know, um, that you are heart centered. And like that story nailed it for me. When I read that story, I was like, I have to have her on the podcast because you lead with your heart and the, and other stories throughout the book, you get how, like, uh, you created uh, like the, the most beautiful sense of team, those interconnected roots with, with your coaching. And I was just like, oh, I wish I'd been a fly on the wall on those practices. I wish I'd been on a fly on the wall, a fly on the wall watching you coach, because you are an expert at creating team leading with your heart though, like not leading with an iron fist or, uh. A profound yell.
1: <laughs> well, there was plenty of that, too. But <laughs> the way you sew it all together, I think I think I was very fortunate in the fact that, number one, I, I grew up in a small town. And I think a lot of those um, values, roots, those ideas of um, seeing value everywhere, that it's not just in it doesn't come packaged looking a certain way. There are a lot of different ways to to provide value. And and excellence looks comes wrapped differently. And I think growing up in a small town, you recognize that. You don't know it at the time, but that's one of those gifts that you get to take with you when you leave. Um, but that coupled with the fact that I had coached high school. And in high school, you get what you get and you got them, and you gotta make them as good as they can be. That's it. There's no there's no I get you, I want you and I want you. It's just whoever comes in is who you have, and you make a team and so you learn to look for those things that you can draw out that give your team a way to be extraordinary and um that sort of naive kind of approach i think um was such an ace that i didn't know i really had going mm. into the college program because it's super easy at the college level to get to become fascinated with uh they're a five star recruit they've won these sorts of accolades they've been picked for usa basketball You have all this stuff, and a lot of those players are fantastic, and they have that thing, that grit, that sinew that you want to coach and you want to be a part of your program. But there's a lot of people that have that that don't have all those stars or all that recognition. And finding them and bringing them together was the great joy of uh, my career. It's what I loved most was trying to instill this idea of sacredness when it comes to a team. Mm. Uh, You are bound together through thick and thin and I play for you and you play for me and we play for this name that's on our jersey. And, um, that was the most fulfilling part of that journey as a basketball coach, seeing what we could, what we could figure out together, how good we could figure out how to be together.
0: Yeah. There was that exalted moment when you had the team pay play for Dub, right? Oh yeah. That oh, yeah. Uh, you guys, you got to get the book and read that. I just got chills just saying
1: it. <laughs> yeah, that that uh, another nail biter. Was, it was. It was one of those that you know you just you just carried around in your pocket with you, and it fuels you forever. It really does. Well, well and it, it.
0: and those of us that read your book, we get to be filled forever too, and inspired by it. And like, okay, how can I do that in my life? How can I do that in my life? I want to talk about something. I am. Um, I just uh, personally happen to have a couple of uh, parent friends that are parents of 20 somethings right now who are in, um, are talking about suicidal ideations. And uh, when I was reading your book, it's funny. I, there was, there was just not that anything in your book is even like this, but there was a, there was a story you were mentioning. I I can't remember if it was Dub or another player that was homesick and, and how you dealt with that. And I just wanted, I wanted to ask you how you dealt with people's hearts in that way, right? Like if, um, I just love to hear, um, what you have to say about that. Not that I'm not asking you to answer suicidal ideations, but you know what I mean? You have a knack for taking care of people's hearts and leading them through tough things. And that's a tough thing to lead somebody. through.
1: Yeah. I think teachers and coaches, uh, have access to people's souls that, um, you can't, you can't get any other way. Some of it is by nature of your title and the position that you hold. Um, some of it obviously is cultivated by how you build a relationship with those young people, but you have an access point that somebody walking down the street just doesn't have. And so, um, when we recruited Stacey Dales, the kid that you referred to in the story, she was from Canada. Mm-hmm. And oh, right. so she came all the way from Brockville, Ontario, Canada to Norman, Oklahoma, which she had to find on a globe before she came to visit because she didn't know where it was. <laughs> True story. Climbed the top of her closet, got her globe down. Um, But she came (gasps) in, she was amazing. And this uh, really uh, full personality, a really funny kid, a smart kid, outgoing, just sort of magnetized people. And the first game of her freshman year tore ACL and so would miss the entire season. And when that happened, when that thing that was 99.9% of the reason why she came to Oklahoma, when that thing was removed... She just sort of um, dropped into this place where every day was hard. Life was hard. It was hard to be happy. It was hard to have energy. It was um, hard to do well in the classroom. Everything was harder than it was before because, of course, the the state of her heart. And um, a big part of Stace's um, sadness was homesick- homesickness. She realized she was so far away from her parents. And what do we all want when it's hard? We want our mom. I mean, that's what that's what we want. And so uh, we would do all kinds of things to make her feel as though she were at home, even though she wasn't at home. And so uh, we'd pick her up and take her to ice cream. We would meet on campus and have lunch with her in the cafeteria. I gave her a certain seat on the bench where she would, quote unquote, help me coach. She was just sort of beside, you know, beside me. Um, But I remember distinctly um, having a conversation with her about her mother in that I said um, her mom had called and said she was so worried about her. And I said, I, I understand. I'm worried about her too. She's sad. Uh I said, but um Heather, when, when she calls you, is she upset? And she said, Oh, she just sometimes can't even talk. She just cries and cries and cries. And I said, um, well, what I want you to know is that she's not like that all the time. And she wasn't, she wasn't. Right. Right. You know how we are. Sometimes if we just make eye contact with that person who means the world to us, we fall into a heap. And we haven't Mm -hmm. been in a heap all day long because there's such an open flow of emotion there. And so when her mom would call at night and she would start to speak, she would open her mouth and she would sob. And so um, Stace and I made an agreement that she would come to my office in the middle of the day, in the middle of the afternoon, between this and that. And she would call her mom then instead of calling her at night. So that her mom could see that she was not walking around crying twenty four seven because she wasn't. Right. She was growing up, and it's so hard, right. and it's so hard for a, a parent to feel that from their child. And it's so easy. This was a a lesson that extrapolated itself throughout my career. In that, if I, and I'll get back to your point in just a second, Bridget. But if no. I came home from basketball practice and said to my husband, "Oh, so and so." was horrible today. And if I just ranted about her attitude and he sees that little bitty sliver from that conversation that I dive into that takes 10 minutes. I don't come in every day and dive in about the good stuff that she does and the great thing that happened. And so his view of her will be just down that straw that I had given him to look through. And so I learned to share all of the picture or none of the picture at all because else it gets skewed. And that's what we did with Stace's mom. We helped her see the big <laughs> of what life was like every day. And um, it helped tremendously because then her mom interacted with her a little differently because she had a better idea of what was real, the reality that existed there. And um, it was one of those junctures of which you know, young women age 18 to 22, um, there are lots of hard days, young people in general, I just have the experience with female athletes, but there are lots of hard days. And you're learning a lot about yourself and about the world and about how to engage with the world and do really hard things and what you think and, and what your worldview is, you know, all those things for the first time, you don't go home at night and sleep inside your parents four walls, you go into your own place. And so all these thoughts and ideas and just a scary time. And so our job, we always felt as a staff was to get to know our players as well as we possibly could to help them through those junctures. Mm -hmm. And many times the sport that they were most passionate about is what helped them learn those lessons and make it through those darker times, but it's a tough time and it's tougher now than it's ever been the last 10 years. um, Was Dramatically different from the first ten to fifteen years of coaching in terms of um, the struggles that young people have—the internal struggles.
0: That's what I'm thinking. Like, I don't remember this. I'm I'm older than you, but roughly, we're roughly the same age. But I don't remember this. Like, I I know of so many kids who actually didn't make it even through their first year of college. They had to come home and then take a year off and then go back or something like that, right? I don't, but yeah, with social media and every, all the pressures that we never had, it was like, we were living in a little bubble, just dealing with the struggles that we had in front of us, but the world is so much, the view of what to struggle with is so expanded. Like, oh, I need to worry about that too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's almost as if, um, if you're not worrying about all that stuff, something's wrong with you. Like you should be worrying about all that stuff. And so there's all this stigmatization that goes on and for I think for those of us who went to college you know in the 80s 90s even early 2000s my players that I was coaching um, they were learning how to do really hard things at a younger age the the hards are different now Mm. but the the internal muscles that were being built by handling, um, well, uh, play is a perfect example. When we were little, went out on the playground, we picked teams and we played. People can't do, young people can't do that anymore. They can't. They do not pick teams. They do not go play. It has to be organized for them. And when you think about all of the social skills that are built on a baseball diamond or a outdoor basketball court or a playground, even for that matter, yeah, where you're having to decide who plays on what team, and how long do we play, and how do we rotate? And there's simple things that are second nature to us. They're not second nature to young people anymore, and so wow. there. That's just a, a glimpse of the lack of internal development. Yes. And so, I, I would tell my coaches the last few years that it was like when I first began teaching. You know, you're teaching senior English. If a kid can't read very well, you're not going to jump into Chaucer and have them read the Canterbury Tales, you know, you're, you're going to like, um, y- you don't get a choice. You don't get to start here because your curriculum starts here. You start where they are and then you take them as far as you possibly can. Well, as adults in this environment, we had to understand where our players were emotionally and mentally from an internal position and not assume that they knew how to handle conflict not to assume that they knew how to make eye contact and carry on a conversation with a stranger. We take those things for granted. They've not necessarily been socialized to have to do those things. And those are important lessons to teach, lessons that ironically you cannot participate well in athletics without. But no matter what a great offense we teach, if we don't teach them how to engage interpersonally with one another and have effective relationships and conversations and problem-solving techniques and the list goes on and on. It doesn't matter how good our defense is or our our offense is. They have to be able to handle the situations that are presented to them. And that's why athletics is such an important part of our society, because it helps build those skills that are needed to do whatever work you do afterward or to have successful relationships or be great parents or all that. It helps accelerate the muscles that you need to do those things. And coaches now have to have to know where kids are when they come in and it's not their fault. It, it's not, it's not our young people's fault. It's the world that they grew up in. Right. Right. You no. Know? Um, <clears throat> including your two kids who are exactly. age in their twenties, I think 30 and 26,
0: 30 and 26. Um, yeah. I, I was uh, talking to one friend who uh, she thought was going down a really bad path and she, her son uh, started playing football, freshman football. And she watched him transform in front of her eyes. Like you said, it was that inner, that inner strength that built with the outer strength, the inner, and thank you for making that point. I hadn't seen it, but I hope you God, we need, we need, you know, parents need help talking to their kids because they're also so secretive. Like that's the pain point that I'm hearing from my friends. I'm not a parent, but I'm just feel for my parent friends and you have a knack for even talking about the most difficult things. Like, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to shy away from this and I'm going to set you in front of your mother during the day. I don't know. I've just, the way you deal with things, I hope you will start some sort of curriculum for parents talking (laughs) to kids and getting them, you know, like, because like you said, you said you as coaches you have this special way into their hearts, just by virtue of, of that role. But the The way you do it, I, I just feel the way you do it. I feel like could be helpful. But step one is get her book, you guys, and uh, and and read it because it's very inspiring. How you talk to kids and how you inspire them in spite of pain, in spite of painful moments.
1: Thank you, thank you. And there is there's plenty of pain in the book.
0: <laughs> <laughs> there's there plenty of pain in the book, but you don't feel pain in any of the stories um like your dad. Oh my god, I loved how you you talked about your dad and and you said I wrote I wrote down this this sentence too. The best I could do was make sure he felt loved. And it's such a simple sentence, but I feel like that's how you live your life too. Like I mean if if we just walked out of our 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 houses each day and just made everybody feel loved. Like so inspiring anything else you want to say about that, but I just wanted you to know that you touched me there.
1: Well, thank you very much. The uh, story I wrote about my father was um, uh, very raw and it was interesting how it came out. Um, we went on a family vacation that had been planned um, months and months before he passed, but he had been in a assisted living center for six years and we knew the end was near and, and that sort of thing. But we I think it was um, two, maybe three months after he passed. And um, I was sitting on the beach one morning and um, it just fell out of me. I mean, the whole story just fell out of me. And um, it's probably been the one that has resonated as much, if not more than anyone in the book. It's the, it's, the, it's the story that I've received the most feedback on. And I think that's partly because so many people have to deal with aging parents and losing parents to dementia losing them before you really lose them, which is um, a horrible way to have to say goodbye to somebody. And uh, it was just, uh, I learned a lot about myself and um, about the process of grieving and about how to let go uh, by loving my dad through that. And I remember the helplessness of sitting in the room with him. Here I am an English teacher, I'm a coach, I talk for a living for God's sake. I mean, when you're a basketball coach and you're a you know, a, you have a platform and a community and, and all you do is talk all the time. And I would sit in his room and I couldn't think of anything to say. I I could I had nothing. And of course he couldn't he he was nonverbal after a very short time after he went to this, this the living center and so I would say things and just think, you know, and then beat myself up in the head. Like, can you not think of something better to say that would elicit a response? It's like the only kinds of questions I could come up with were those dead end ones that would either have a, or at the end, like what, I know how to speak in, in convergent questions instead of divergent questions. It was just, you know, you just have this argument in your head while you're sitting there. And I remember, and I didn't actually write about this in the story, but I remember one one Sunday morning, I always went and sat with them before I went to church on Sunday mornings. And so I'd spend a couple of hours on Sunday morning before I went. And I remember one morning, um, I couldn't think of anything to say. We were just sitting in front of the TV and I would just sit beside him, you know, knew he knew my presence. And, you know, and I rubbed his feet. I took his, his shoes off and uh, rubbed his feet. And I remember that being like, this is closer than any conversation. Mm-hmm. This is... Hmm. this is the way we communicate now and um, figuring those things out that doesn't always have to be about the words even if your life is about the words it's um, about showing up and being present and um, that sometimes that's the best you can do and that's okay I had to yeah. learn to with that.
0: that's so beautiful <clears throat> I had the same experience with that not being able to find words and I just realized as you were talking that what was going on with me with my dad is your dad was such a force of nature as was my dad. And it's like, I I feel like I wasn't saying the right things because the whole time my inner mantra was, please don't be this way. Please don't be weak. Please don't be in a weakened state. Please don't. And I would do the same thing, the yes, no questions. And he, he had had a stroke. And so one of the words that he loved to say, actually, not because it was contrary, but just because it was fun for him to say was nope. (laughs) He <laughs> would say
1: it in this. Nope. And so I some questions. <laughs> it's just where you find yourself. It's just a
0: very. Thank you for saying that story though. <laughs> oh my god! But yeah, being that that. But I love that. Oh God, just have him feel loved. Just have him make sure he felt loved. Um. Yeah, there's a lot of stories. Stories. Uh stories about loss. And I wrote down another sentence, a couple sentences that you wrote losses like that, I guess the threshold never really heals entirely, even though you grow second skin around it. I love that. The threshold never really heals entirely. So beautiful. Thank you. And then later, another line when you were talking about grief, um, So you're referring to the the music venue, the blue door. So she writes, and in the exposure of that space inside the little place they call the blue door, I discovered that grief sits in containers and sometimes the lids pop up, pop off of one spilling the contents of another. Oh my God. (laughs) So good. And so true.
1: There is a commonness of pain, which I felt in that um, space with all those strangers uh, at the blue door listening to Liz Longley sing. Um, But it was just interesting how the grief sort of intertwined. It it wasn't really about this or about that, but it was about this thing that you feel. And um, everybody had some. And there was um, just a little bit of ease that came with knowing that that I'm not the only one who hurts. I'm not the only one who feels this thing that's doesn't really have a an apt description. It's just this way that we feel and how it could be about completely different things, but the feeling is so similar and loss is loss. And no one's is greater than anyone else's and there's not one that's lesser than. It's just there's a commonness to it. And uh, um I think I felt linked up with those people there. I think everybody in the room felt that, even though we didn't express it to one another.
0: So beautiful, right? So connecting. I remember a dark time where I thought somebody on the other side of the earth is probably feeling is in the exact same position I'm in right now. We don't speak the same language or anything, but there's another human. There's at least one more human on this planet that is in the exact precise position I'm in. Yeah, you know, makes- Kelly
1: Corrigan, the author who does. Yes, uh, I love her. Yeah. Her, her has podcasts and I've I'm, I'm read and re-gifted her books many times, but she says that that's sort of her methodology for when she's working herself into this horrible place is she stops and reminds herself how many people might be feeling this exact same thing at this moment. People that I know in my town, and then people that I don't know in the state, and then people that I don't know in this country, and then people all across the world, as you said, who speak different languages, and that you just sort of sink into that idea. I think it's a a Buddhist idea that you carry in in your one pocket is you're the most important thing on the world, and the other pocket is you're a grain of sand, and Mm. I think it's a sort of a Buddhist mentality to say the secret of life is knowing which hand to put your pocket in at what time, and sometimes Mm. when we feel completely overwhelmed by everything, it's because we've decided that we're the most important thing in the world and we're the only one. And when you understand there are thousands, maybe millions of people who feel exactly as you feel, you sort of settle into that a little differently.
0: Right. And uh, that's one of the threads throughout your book too, is talking about how you thread that, how important each player is with they're just a piece in the team too. Like, like let's, we're playing for PW, PW right now. We're joining in together in that. Uh, One of the words that you said early on in this conversation was gratitude and how that these stories are, and they are, they are, they are giant thank yous to all these people that made a difference in your life and whose lives, obviously, I know we all know that you greatly affected as well in such a beautiful way, but um, I want to, I, I love gratitude as a tool. And during this pandemic, it feels like such an important tool to use to heal our hearts from all the bashing up that's happened, right? Like when you just said that thing, I had not heard you say that. If you had it in the book, I missed it. No, uh, or I don't think you did, but the coaching from the balcony. Oh my God, the image of you coaching from a balcony, right? Like how that, how we've all had our hearts like little punching bags over these last few years. And I'd love to hear any tips that you have about how to heal our hearts from that and move forward powerfully.
1: I don't know that there is a better healing agent on the planet than gratitude. It is impossible to be grateful and anxious simultaneously. You can't. So if you feel yourself feeling anxious and you can intentionally drive toward gratitude you automatically just lower that temperature. It's amazing how that happens. And like most things, once you begin to frame your thoughts for the day with gratitude, you find it everywhere. You find opportunities for it everywhere. And one of the, well, easily the most fulfilling part of writing this book, but one of the um things I never thought about when I wrote it is the fact that most of the feedback that I've gotten has been, oh my gosh, this made me think about my great aunt. You would not believe my great aunt. And then they go into the story and then my fifth grade football coach was unbelievable. And then it's, you know, my daughter's math teacher. And people are start, when they read the book, they start to create their list of their people, which was my intention very much. So find your people read about mine and I hope it, you know, taps you on the shoulder and says, Hey, think about yours. But this wave of gratitude that has come about, I, I had a uh, breakfast with a guy who said, um, plopped a notebook down across the table. And he said, um, full disclosure, we are old friends. Um, but he wanted to go to breakfast after he'd read the book and, and we don't talk often, but still uh, very dear friends. Popped a notebook down on the table and he said, um, "You know what that is?" And I said, "I don't know." He said, "Open it up." So I opened it up. It was just a list of people's names, and I said, "Okay." And he said, "So when I finished reading your book, I um, I loved it. I sent you a text, told you, and then I started thinking about my people." And he said, "I would find myself driving to work, and I would be thinking about my Kanaka advisor, and and then I would be thinking about." my college roommate. And then I would be thinking, and he said, so I just started making this list of people who had impacted me and I'm going to go tell them, I'm going to go tell every single one of them what they, what they meant to me. And he was putting it on a calendar for the upcoming year. He's going to spend 2023 telling all those people, um, thank you for making him who he is. He said, I'm the kind of dad I am in part because of my dad and my, a uh, canuck advisor and my high school basketball coach and um to me that was like an aha moment where i went you know what this is really about is gratitude and passing it on and um that's been like this beautiful watershed kind of moment after, you know you, you write the book because you love words and you love to write and i didn't see i didn't see this part coming so that makes oh me oh very- god that is so let's
0: Let's do he could he
1: could no, he could start a whole movement. He
0: should start a blog and have everybody watch him do it. You know what I mean? Oh my God. Let's start a oh my God. Yeah. Share inspiration.
1: (laughs) You're hysterical.
0: (laughs) Hysterical. That is an unbelievable project. He please, please, will you ask him to do that for us to share that? Oh my God. That is a brilliant
1: thing for us to all do. Isn't it? I mean, just oh my God. Yeah, because yeah. we don't we think it and we hope they know it and we think we maybe told them once, but maybe not. I can't remember. And yeah, what right. if we and
0: but especially during like a painful time too? Like the pandemic has been more painful for others than 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 for some than others. But that the focusing on the gratitude she can, can literally unravel all of those knots.
1: Yeah. 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 The amazing part of it to me is like gratitude is like this, this um, salve, you know, like when you put lotion on your skin softens it up and, and gratitude does that to your heart. And then that's when grace comes in and you just find Mm. space for forgiveness and, and space for, um encouragement and, and for understanding and to me it's it's this um in our country right now not to wax too philosophical here but in our country right now we are just so polarized yeah and and, and we don't even really sometimes think through what the matter is at hand we're just going to jump on this team or this team and i think that the process of being grateful for what we have and what we've been given and what we get because we are Americans in this country is sort of that salve that softens the heart mm-hmm. enough to say, I have room in here to hear what you're saying and to to understand where you're coming from. Whether I agree or not, I have room to understand that and to consider it. And so much animosity can just be diffused when you take that approach. It begins with forgiveness and yeah, forgiveness of yourself to yourself forgiving yourself for your own shortcomings um, understanding that it takes a lot of different kinds of folks with a lot of different stuff to make this country and our relationships and our businesses and our teams what they are and so appreciate those and value those and you don't you can't do that if you're hard and crusty you just can't
0: I'm t- I'm always talking about the barnacles that we got on our hearts during the pandemic. Which it doesn't have to only be the pandemic, but uh, you know, like you look at the underside of your heart, and it's like, oh darn, there's a lot of barnacles under there, hard edges, and now I see why I'm a hard no to this or a hard no to that. Right. And you bring like, I loved how you like that, that softening of the edges. And I thought like that we, it's like it politically, I love that you brought up the, the political landscape. It's, it's black and white and we lost the gray. Remember gray? Remember purple?
1: <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: I love how you say that. Yeah. So forgiveness, right. Forgiveness of yourself and others and the gratitude. Yeah. So healing. Thank you. It is a healing salve and thank you for all of that beautiful wisdom seriously that was that was really great and i cannot more highly recommend uh you know and if you play basketball oh my god or if you've ever played basketball ever 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 get it but i have not and i adored this book you do not have to be a basketball but i cannot even imagine i was reading it going oh my god somebody who's played uh uh uh, um what's it called uh Competitively played. He's um, good because. Oh my God! It was such a nail biter for me though. I was, felt like I was watching a movie. It was a really good.
1: <laughs> well, I've been every
0: story was a different movie.
1: Very, very blessed to coach some amazing humans. Amazing humans, and um, the at the very first of the book is a dis is just a disclaimer. Which I, I somebody said I don't think I've ever seen a book start with the disclaimer, and I said no, I had to because. Um, I had this great, and I'll, I'll, I know we're running short on time probably, but also, no. so, um, my 2002 team, which was my team that first team that went to the final four and we played for the national championship. They were just this collection of, um, I had a bunch of alphas and they were, um, gosh, they, they went on to be one is, is, uh, an OBGYN, one is a physical therapist, one uh is an NFL broadcaster. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on of uh, what these people did after school. So they they were these kind of people that like wring the very marrow out of life, you know, like they could be on Dead Poet Society, they were those guys. And um they together were just this remarkable, funny, just great group of girls. Well, so when I'm I'm writing the book and it's a you know, I've just retired, so we've all like, you know, they're all reaching out when I retire or evolve and um and one of them says there better be a story about me in that book and so you know the whole group just dies laughing and there's like there's no way she's putting a story about you in there and so that's why I sort of tongue-in-cheek did the disclaimer at the beginning that you know there's not a story about my husband uh, or my mother two very important people to me so you know um uh, let's just understand but there you know there are so many other players lives that i could have written about you just you know you, you couldn't do that a book would be 7000 pages long nobody wants to read all that but um i've just been really blessed by having some extraordinary young women in my life and i just wanted them to know that for whatever i might have meant to them they've meant that 20 fold to me and that's mm. the nature of coaching mm,
0: that's so beautiful by the way i loved your disclaimer too it is such a great way and that that, uh, that also lends that tone of, come on, sit down. We're going to talk, right? Like, it's just such a, a, you really get a sense of who you are in this book. It's really like, okay, before I sit, before we sit down and talk, I just want to say, I'm not going to hit a story on everybody that was important to me. I mean, also I use the word guys. I use the word guys too. She has a inner part of her disclaimer is about using the word guys. Thank you for saying that in such an articulate way. I'm going to, I should, copy it and carry it in my pocket because i get shit for that all the time sorry for swearing
1: (laughs) i understand it's a term of endearment people it's a term of endearment (laughs)
0: thank you for being hilarious and inspiring and powerful and uh and I can't wait to see all the beautiful things that you do. You just retired last year, right? Last year yeah. or the year before. Yeah. Um, year. Yeah. So, so I mean, you're newly, excuse me, evolved. Excuse
1: yes, me. I'm newly evolved. I'm I'm not even, I've not even made it all the way around the sun once. Um, no, I, I have a lot of books in my head that I want to write. It was really important for me to do this one first. It just felt like this was the one that should come first. And so um, we'll see if I get those others out the way I want to, but they're in there rolling around and I'm trying to work on them right now, but I have a a weekly blog uh, at my website, com. It comes out every Tuesday and I've had a real blast doing that for two reasons. Number one, it gives me complete freedom in terms of subject matter. I don't have to worry about, I write about whatever I notice that week. And um, that's been fun to just, pay attention in that very specific kind of way. It's just like I'm living with my eyes and ears wide open all the time, which is just a really fun way to go about life. But the other part of that is it's been enough of a deadline um, where I have to sit down every day and write. And writing is so much like competitive athletics or anything you want to be really, really good at. What do you have to do? You have to show up every day. You just have to show up and put your butt in the chair. And some days it's good. And some days It's straight trash and you just go on and do it again the next day. And so this Tuesday deadline that I put up on myself has just been really good for making me sit in the chair every day and develop that habit, that sort of gritty habit of showing up. And so um, I love doing the blog. I don't like the fact that I don't have revision time as writers. We like to revise and then put it on the shelf and let it cool for a little bit and then get it three days later and revise a little more and then put it over there and let it sit and do what it does. You don't have that when you're writing every Tuesday. So um, most of the time I send it out and then I read it and go, oh, I said that better. (laughs) Why did I put a comma there? I don't like that. So, uh, But that's just part of the process, too. And uh, it's been really, really fun. So if you read the book and enjoy the book, I think you'll enjoy the blog as well. Absolutely. And I did, I signed up for it actually like uh, when
0: I, yeah, like before I even opened your book, I went to your website and I was like, sign up for it, and I did sign up for that. Um, and yes. Yeah, so everybody go sign up. We'll watch for your books. Also, man, somebody, I, I really want to see the movie of your, of your life, of the, of this, of this coaching story of you. Oh, oh my God. Cause the, the, honestly, I felt like I watched a series of movies on here and it, they were nail biters, so exciting. And, and you just, it's its truly inspiring. So thank you. And thank you for taking care of all the hearts because all those hearts that you took care of, those hearts move forward more powerfully and take care of other hearts and other hearts and other hearts. And it, like the work you do pays
1: forward in astronomically huge ways, right? Well, so thank you. thank you. Thank you. There's a huge responsibility in that. And You know, we don't, as teachers and coaches, we don't always get it right. We don't hit the right chord with every kid. And, um, you know, when I uh, stepped away from coaching, you know, they asked the questions, what's your favorite team? What's your, you know, the season, all that stuff. And uh, along with those questions is always the one, what do you regret? And I think every coach and every teacher, you regret the kid you couldn't reach, the Mm -hmm. one who just wanted to, those never go away. And I don't know if regret is the right word, but you, um, you think about those and you wonder how you could have done better because there's such a huge responsibility with that seat. And uh, for all, all the wins, there are always some that you lose as well. And those are the ones that, you know, you learn from, you try to look back on and think, how can I do that better and make sure I win next time. And um, I think that's, that's part of that, the magnitude of that job that is teaching and leading and doesn't just have to be in schools and doesn't just have to be in sports. But when you're a leader, you have that um, magnificent responsibility. And I think um, magnificent is a great word for it because it talks about magnitude and it also talks about the fact that it's its heavy and it can be heavy. And so um, it's, there's a good and a yin and a yang to that. There's a good and a bad to that. And um, uh, that's learning how to navigate that, the wins and the losses, the great stories with the people that you're charged with leading and the ones where you didn't quite get them, where they wanted to go. Uh, all of that is sort of this human experience. And mm. it's, bit both. Thank you. I know you're a leader and <laughs> you're a leader by how you live, Bridget. I hadn't seen oh. you for more than five minutes. At- <laughs> If I still had a team, I'm recruiting her. I don't know if she could. Do this I'll teach her. I can teach her those things. Now but I even t-
0: you know I want to play basketball. Now oh she my has god.
1: it, so we can teach the rest of us. So it in here.
0: <laughs> oh. Thank you so much. No, and I immediately when you got up on the stage, I was like, I have to have her on my podcast. And then when I opened your book, I was like, Oh my god. She has. I, I was gonna. If you didn't say yes immediately, I was gonna have to pester you. But you said yes right away. <laughs> Thank you. I was like, I'm on a mission. She will. Well, I like, am. Oh my god, such a- I am.
1: I am so honored, and I could tell immediately that um, you do lots of things for lots of people. That who you are comes out of you in a lot of different ways, and I Thank love you. that. Thank uh, you. I love the difference you're making in people's lives, even at a at a conference. You when you're you know. Doing what everybody's doing, there was something different about you, and that's that was uh, really, really neat.
0: Thank you so much. Yeah. So, well, I'll be watching you, and if you ever come to LA, you have an open invitation to come here because you'll probably be in town when you're getting your film deal together. So that'll be fun. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love it. I just love how you think, girl. But and I'm gonna keep out. watching you. So inspired. look out! I will be calling you. I will be taking you up on that.
0: Yes, please. <laughs> I'm not joking. Neither. Thank you for your time. Thank you. It's been fantastic. Okay, everybody, run, don't walk to go get her book, Rooted to Rise. Go to sherrycole.com, sign up for her newsletter. Oh, my God, isn't she fantastic? And if you like this podcast, please like it, subscribe to it, tell every single human that you know about it, spread the love, have a great rest of your day, superhero. Thanks for coming.